Well, back to 1 Samuel again. Uh, for those of us who were around last year, we finished at 1 Samuel 7 and we're back into it. So if you've got your Bibles there, keep it open to 1 Samuel 7. Uh, sorry, well, 1 Samuel 8 today. And uh, in a moment, we'll, we'll pray and ask God to, to help us. Uh, hey, do, guys, don't, don't forget too, um, the Robbo Daily Life is out for this term. And this is an opportunity for us to just to pray for our church. You just go through it week by week. And there are other prayer points as well, different ministries. So make sure you grab one of those. They're just at the back door to the left of the door over there. Uh, and um, you can follow along and a bit of news there as well. And you can pray for uh, all the ministries and, and people. So we'll just go through alphabetically and praying for our church. So, um, and uh, Sandra and Rob, and good news about Jane during the week, yes, which is great. So Jane, their daughter, has been um, not well, but the latest scans after some chemotherapy and radiotherapy have, um, have seen the, the tumour not grow in size and respond well to that. So that's a great thing. So I'm going to thank God for that. And um, you guys doing okay? Good, okay, yeah. Um, let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word today as well. Father, we do thank you so much for that good news with Jane, um, uh, and we, we pray that you give, continue to give Rob and Sandra strength as they cope through this difficult time. We pray for healing with Jane. We thank you that that tumour has not grown in size. We pray that it will continue to shrink, and the chemo and radiotherapy will have, um, uh, will have a good result. We pray for us now, Lord, as we hear your word, we pray that we'd respond um, with faithfulness, and, uh, and we would trust you as the, the king of all kings, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's an insecure world out there. Uh, life itself is insecure. But the trouble is, most of us like to feel secure. So we, we put, well, we install locks and alarms. We, uh, we take out insurance. What else do we do? We, uh, we save money. We like to be strong and fit and healthy. We like having friends around us. We acquire power, we generate influence and control, we seek to earn affection. It all makes us feel secure. How are you going with that? Do you feel secure? You're still searching for that, some sort of security in an insecure world. And the notion of belief comes into all this, doesn't it? So who or what should I believe in when it comes to my security? What should I be worried about? What action, actions should I take when it comes to my security? Where I grew up on the, um, I grew up on the edge of a national park on the north side of Sydney. Uh, it was a small suburb or small part of a bigger suburb, really. It was out on the edge of a national park. And, and because of that, there were, well, there were quite a few loonies, actually, in my little suburb. Um, it was the 1980s, and uh, what... I knew of at least, I say at least because I'm pretty sure there was more, but at least two families who had made themselves and built themselves nuclear fallout shelters. So there they were. In the, in, or for all to see, here was our nuclear fallout shelter. Um, they, and this, of course, this was the period of the Cold War. You know, this is Reagan and Gorbachev and who's going to press the button first? And they were ready. They felt secure. They, had, they were ready to go. They'd, they'd got all their tin food and you know, packed it all out, ready for someone to press the button to feel safe and secure. You know, in this um, election season, I'm saying season because it feels like that, doesn't it? It's gone on forever. Anyway, um, one after the other, 
we expect from our leaders, the one thing we expect from our leaders is that they'll provide us with security. You know, that's the fundamental responsibility of government. If you don't have security, well, you end up losing all that good you've achieved anyway. So you, you want to have security. Now, in 1 Samuel 7, if you've got your Bibles open, you can flick back and have a look. And you might remember from last year, I know that's a little bit hard, but the, the, the prophet Samuel was the kind of leader needed to provide Israel with security. See, that was because on the one hand, the one who could certainly deliver them from any threat was God. And on the other hand, their greatest danger was from God due to worshipping of other gods. And so the heart of Samuel's leadership was calling people back to the Lord. You know, 1 Samuel 7 verse 3. And praying to the Lord for the people. 1 Samuel 7 verse 9. That was the kind of leader that Israel needed. And Samuel was the leader God provided. Now the chapter closes with uh, a bit of a summary statement. I've got it here up on the screen. Um, I would like to have it just up on the screen. Is that going to work for us, guys? This is, there we go. Um, a bit of a summary statement uh, of the rest of Samuel's life and the leadership he provided Israel. And you can see in verse 15 there that he judged Israel in the sense, really, that he led them in justice and righteousness. That's what it meant to judge Israel. And so as we come to the beginning of chapter 8, well, we jump forward. Probably a number of years, really. We're not really quite sure how many years. We jump forward a number of years, and Samuel is now old. And there have been good years in Israel leading up to this moment. But now, as Samuel has reached old age, the security Israel had enjoyed has come under serious threat. So, point one, if you've got your outline there, and you can write a few notes down, point one is the threat to national security. Now, I, I, you know, I, I try to find some... I try to find, I try, try to find a, a bit of an illustration here or a story to introduce us to the idea of the threat to national security. And it was a little bit tricky, to be totally honest. Because what happened, when I googled threat to national security, and at that point I started to feel a bit nervous, because if you did that in Dubai, by the way, you'd get a knock on the door. But anyway, so I googled threat to national security, and the first three pages of Google were all to do with Donald Trump. I'm just going to leave that there. I'm not going to say anything more. I'm just going to leave it there. So anyway, now three factors contributed to the perceived threat to Israel's national security. Here's the first one, Samuel's age. Now you remember from 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel began with an old man leading Israel, a guy called Eli, who was a priest. Now, the comparison between Eli and Samuel grows in the coming verses. But for now, let's just see that and then lock it away for later. Okay? Now, growing old has its pros and cons. Uh, on the plus side is the, the growth in wisdom and experience and the ability to not make the same mistakes in life over and again. At least that's the theory. I'm waiting for those days to come. Um, but on the negative side, well, there's, you know, there's decreasing energy, a bit of aches and pains, uh, illness, I suppose. But also there's the, there's the growing certainty that death is close or closer. It's the reality. Uh, 
Now, Israel's peace and security under Samuel was something to thank God for. But now, God willing, like the rest of us will one day, Samuel had grown old. And that raised some questions about leadership and the future. That's the first factor contributing to this perceived lack of national security. The second one is Samuel's sons. So Samuel put forward a solution. It's a bit of an experiment, really. We see it in verse 1 to the approaching crisis. He appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. He made his sons judges over Israel. Just like Eli. Remember Eli? Eli, who shared the responsibilities of the priesthood with his sons at Shiloh. But the problem is, this is not the way it worked uh, in priesthood. Yeah, it worked that way in priesthood. Priesthood in Israel may well have been hereditary. So um, passed on to the sons and so forth. That, it was in the Levi tribe. That's how it worked. But not the role of the judge. And so this was actually made clear back in Judges chapter 8. And I've got it up on the screen here. Judges 8 is when the judge Gideon, after a rousing victory, asked the people, uh, the people I should say, asked or they demanded Gideon to establish a dynasty. They said, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, rule over us. But Gideon refused rightly and he said to them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you, the Lord will rule over you. Now, we're not sure why then Samuel appointed his sons as judges. He would have heard of this occasion, would have known of it. Well, maybe he was just desperate. At the end of his life, he knew he had, there had to be someone following him. Maybe he was just desperate. Or maybe as his sons were appointed in Beersheba, and that's a good distance from where he was in Ramah, Samuel's home, Samuel's plan was, was then to extend his justice further into the land. Maybe that's what he was thinking. But we really don't know. Well, it was a failed experiment. <laughs> Verse 3. The parallels here between Eli and Samuel now become more obvious. Like Eli's sons, Samuel's sons did not walk in his ways. Read, look at verse 3. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So instead of pursuing justice, that's the task of the judge... Remember, justice and righteousness, they lead in justice and righteousness. The task of the judge is to help Israel pursue justice. They did not do that. They pursued personal gain and perverted justice. Entrusted with the service of the people, both the sons of Eli and the sons of Samuel abused the people's trust by putting themselves before those they were supposed to serve. As one commentator put it, they were users, not servers. They were takers, not givers. Now, that does start to raise good questions, doesn't it, about godly leadership, don't you think? And what characterises godly leadership? Whether you're a leader now or you desire to be, and you should desire to be, lead God's people. But if you want to serve here at church, say, and lead in that way, maybe it's in music, maybe it's um, reading the Bible up front, leading a service, uh, leading one of our community groups, our Bible study groups, what characterises your leadership? It's a good question to ask. We start to get a good answer here in, in 1 Samuel 8. Well, as we read, one thing is made abundantly clear, though, that at the end of Samuel's life, Israel's well-being cannot be guaranteed by the sons of their leaders. The old uh, age of a great leader like Samuel was therefore a crisis. 
the peace and security and prosperity of the years under Samuel were in danger if his sons were to play any role in Israel's future. So, well, the people put forward a proposal. Perhaps we could call it a demand, because certainly it sounds like a demand at the end of the, end of the chapter, doesn't it? It's a proposal that would aim to establish the security of the nation and it would change Israel forever. So, this is versus the next little point you're out, like the people's demand, uh, verses 4 to 18. We can break this section up into conversations because that's sort of how it works, doesn't it? Each exchange involved the people to Samuel, Samuel to God, God to Samuel, Samuel to the people. And it begins with this proposal from the elders of Israel. Let's look at it, verses 4 and 5. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. I like it how they don't beat around the bush, do they? You know. Thanks for letting me know again. You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. The people to Samuel, give us a king to judge us. For Samuel, you are old and your sons are dodgy. That's my translation. Your sons can't be trusted. Give us a king like the other nations. Hmm. See, first, let's just... Let's think about this for a minute, though. This is, an odd, this is an odd demand in the circumstances. The people demand a king, right? And kingship works on the principle of hereditary leadership. So a father being succeeded by his son. Now, wasn't it nice to have a royal baby this week? Do you like royal babies? Good for you. Um, <laughs> a royal baby. Uh, a son. A son. Who will succeed? Well, sadly, though, we will never have. I don't think we're going to have a King Archie. Isn't that sad? Doesn't it sound so good? Um, he's unlikely. He's seventh. I think seventh in line to the top gig. I don't think he's going to get there. Seventh in line. Might be. Yeah, no. I don't think he's going to get there. Uh, and, but I must admit, I was a little bit surprised when they took my suggestion. So good for them. For those who don't know, I've got a son called Archie. Um, anyway, now. It didn't seem to click with the elders of Israel that hereditary leadership was the reason for their crisis right now. Remember? Um, Samuel's dodgy sons. And, and, see, and they wanted to replace what they have now, which was including Samuel's dodgy sons, hereditary leadership, which hasn't worked, with something that is effectively the same. Kingship. Hereditary leadership. It's pretty dumb, isn't it? It's not only foolish, though, this suggestion, this proposal. Well, it's unfaithful. Just like under the priestly leadership of Eli's sons, their demand would be to abandon the Lord and adopt the way of the pagan nations. Now, under Eli's sons and pretty much the history of Israel, when you abandon the Lord, you follow the gods of the other nations. When you follow the gods of the other nations, you abandon the Lord, vice versa. And that's the heart of this proposal. It was abandonment of the Lord, and it came down to two things. One, they asked for a king to judge us. This was not the way, not what God had previously provided. It was walking away from God's leadership. It was replacing God's system of leadership with their own one. First mistake. Second, they asked for a king like the other nations. And that was a remarkable rejection of Israel's calling to be a treasured possession Remember Exodus 19, after the Ten Commandments, or just before actually the Ten Commandments were given. Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 4, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, God says you would be. 
You'll be separated from the other nations. You'll be my, my people. So this was a, a rejection of Israel's calling to be that treasured possession. You see, kingship wasn't really the big issue. In fact, it, had, it did add, it made a bit of sense, didn't it, really? Uh, the real issue was the phrase, like all the other nations. That was the issue. They were opting out of a covenant made with the Lord and adopting a pagan model, a non-believing model of, of nationhood. We want to be like them. We want to be like them, they said. It's got a familiar ring to it, doesn't it? Don't you think? I just want to fit in. I just want what they have. What they have brings me comfort and security. I just want that. Rings a bell, doesn't it? Well, we've spent a bit of time on this proposal, which I've called a demand, because it was so important. Their request would change the history of Israel. I guess we'd say you'd change the history of the world, wouldn't it? Okay, let's see how God responds. Well, first, Samuel prays to the Lord in verse 6. Verse 6, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. Now, in Samuel's eyes, this proposal is evil. Actually, the, the Hebrew is quite strong. It reads literally, the thing was evil in the eyes of Samuel. Samuel rightly saw it as a rejection of God's ways, an attempt to find security elsewhere. So Samuel prays. We're not quite sure what he prays, but we're very used to Samuel praying and uh, interceding for the people when they've gone the wrong way and asking for God's mercy. So another example is 7 verse 5. Now the Lord speaks to Samuel. His answer, well, it's quite surprising. Let's read 7 to 9. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. So God says to them, listen to them. That's the first surprise. Listen to them. Hey, why should I listen to them? No, listen to them. And, and he says, all that they are saying. The all in verse 7 is really important. God says it's not about kingship, Samuel. That's okay. Listen to the rest of what they're saying. The real problem is like all the other nations. That's, part of, that's the part that's a real concern. Their rejection of God as king is the real problem. So God says to Samuel, listen. And then another surprise, he says, warn them. The people are about to be given the king that they'd asked for. So Samuel was to warn them of the ways of this king because when you reject God's ways, well, you can expect consequences. God in his mercy gives us, you and I, such warnings. God warns them and God will judge them by the actions of the king they ask for. It's a little like Romans chapter 1. You can read it for homework if you like, where God gives the people over to their sin in judgment. It's a case of, well, if you want it, if this is what you want, well, this is what you'll get. And so God gives them over to their sin. You see, here's an example of this godly principle. That is, the desire to be free from God's rule is punished by the experience of being given over to godless ways. And this will be worked out all through Israel's experience. 
So Samuel speaks to the people in verses 10 to 18 and he describes the reign, well, he describes the ways, the justice of this king they ask for, they demand. Now, we won't read it all through now, but just have a look at this. Have a look at the screen for a moment. Look at the red. Notice a couple of things. Notice, one, the king's justice, or more accurately, this king's injustice. And notice all those red words, take. That's what this king will do. This king will take. He will take, take and take. So this warning that Samuel gives the people couldn't be, couldn't be more serious. This request, if granted, would lead to disaster for Israel. Well, look at verse 19 with me. But the people refuse to listen to Samuel. It falls on deaf ears. They're determined to go their own way. That, that's got to be the heart of rebellion against God, isn't it? It's stubborn rejection. We've all been there. Maybe you're still there. It's pride. Look at this warning. Look, look what will happen. But the people decided to go their own way. Falls on deaf ears. They refuse to hear the word of God, the word of the prophet. Instead, it's Samuel who must obey the word of the people. Bit of irony there. So verse 20, Then we shall be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Well, the demand is confirmed in verses uh, well, 21 and 22. God gives them over. Samuel does his job of intermediary, even though he still saw this as evil. And note, this time he doesn't pray, he just passes on the information and grants their request. So verse 21, when Samuel heard, what the Lord, heard all that the, Lord, the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord said, listen to them, give them a king. And Samuel said to them, the men of Israel, everyone to go back to his own town. See, as we read, we can't help but ask what future there is. What's it going to mean for Israel? We're going to find out. But what future there is for this new institution of monarchy? given because the people refused to hear the word of the prophet, the word of God, the word of the judge. Well, we will find out in the coming chapters, but let's, let's ask this question as we close. Well, what do we learn from this extraordinary moment in history? Well, let's think about it from another viewpoint. Let's uh, change our angle slightly. Let's think about it from another day, many years later. See, the... On the day that I have in mind, a man stood before the great pagan political power of that day, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. There's a lot of P's in that, isn't there? Pilate asked this man, are you the king of the Jews? And do you remember his reply? Rhiannon read it to us a few moments ago. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I'm not a king like all the other nations. I'm not a king like all the other nations. So the gospel of the New Testament tells us that there is a king worth having. But he's a king who is, whose kingship is completely different from the king demanded by Israel in 1 Samuel 8. His is not of this world. To want a leader like the leaders of this world, well, it's foolish and it's faithless. To think that leaders like the leaders of this world can give us security, peace and justice is foolishness. In fact, the gospel message we read in our Bibles tells us that there is a king whose justice is altogether different from the justice Samuel warned the people they would get from their king. 
For King Jesus is a king who does not take, but he gives. King Jesus, who brings us a very different security, a very real and different peace, a very real and different justice. Well, friends, if you made Jesus your king, where you give your life, where your security is in him, you don't just give him the leftovers, you don't just give him Sundays, not just when people are watching, but every day, all my life, all my security in him. How about I pray and ask God to help us to do that? Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus, uh, your king, your Christ, to come to give to us, to, to give us life, to give us forgiveness, to die for us, to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, we pray that the Lord would give our life to you, King Jesus. Not just a bit of it, not just half the leftovers, but the whole thing. Lord, thank you that you are a king unlike any other king, that we can find real security in you. Amen. I think we...